Welcome on into the show. My name is Denny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the Snare Campaign Provocateur, and he traded his click track for internet clicks. It's Benny Horowitz. <laughs> What's up, dude? Uh, it's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Give me those ratings. Oh, oh Danny, I got the allergies today. Oh, man. Oh, spring Blooming. is in bloom, and that means my my eyes are wet, <laughs> swollen. Got weird headaches. Oh, we got the grasses and the leaves and the tree. I forgot about this part about yeah. moving out to the country. <laughs> you know, the allergies are going to be worse. That's going to be <laughs> my introduction for you next week. I may be wet behind the ears, but he's wet in the eyes. It's Benny Horowitz. Oh, don't give it up yet. <laughs> don't give it up yet. I know. I'm like Paul from the Wonder Years. People would, people would be shocked at the, the amount of nerdery I am and the fact that you will never find me without tissues in my pocket. Or napkins in my glove box. I'm such a Jewish grandmother when it comes to that. By the way, I don't know. If, I don't know when this happened up here in Jersey City, but they have replaced all of the trees with these like Japanese cherry blossoms. So like really? every street for some reason now has cherry blossoms, and I don't remember this from last year. But it's like they're <laughs> all in like bloom now, and I'm like, when did we become Washington D.C. up here? It's why like the. Did we unknowingly become the sister city of Kyoto or something? Yeah, right. It's like, it's crazy. Benny, by the way, a quick tune-up update on a story mm. we did last week. The LeVar Burton to Jeopardy train has gained some momentum. Yes. Um, there is a, tu- uh, almost said a tune-up. There is a petition <laughs> on change.com that has over 200,000 signatures. LeVar Burton himself has put it out into the universe. Here's where I got mad because Twitter kind of kept this going. We've been saying this for months now. Months. Uh, our guy Clinton Yates got on TV and advocated at the end of Around the Horn for this. So I just got to say, like, even before LeVar Burton wanted this, we wanted it for him. So, you know, we're just, trailblazers, yeah, Denny. Just we another are truly, example. We're truly trailblazers. Uh, if more people paid attention, they would realize <laughs> the nostradamic element of our show i'd pretty much make every prediction about (laughs) basketball correctly one day people will learn so what did you think of aaron Rodgers being the host here's my quick take i like his personality yeah nice suit even though he's busting out of it Mm because he's aaron Rodgers. so i thought he did a nice job but i think what i realized and what i need from a jeopardy host i need a little stoicism yeah I need him a little bit more serious, a little bit more stoic. I don't want a jokester up there because in order to imagine that it's educational, I have to think, take the person a little seriously, you know? So I hope when, if and when LeVar gets this job, he gives that little little touch of the Trebekian stoicism that we all need, you know? Like, the reason why Alex Trebek reading hip-hop lyrics on these clues was awesome (laughs) was because he was so stoic and so professional. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So So that's what we need. Aaron... Good try. Back to football. But it's, Back to football And with he you. showed up with the first day of school, picture hair, like, <laughs> right, like yeah. all the way done yeah. out. And you know yeah. what the other thing we need in, in a Jeopardy host? Somebody that you can't troll. Like, you shouldn't be able to ask right. the final Jeopardy, why did uh, Matt LaFleur decide to kick the field goal? Like, it's too it's, easy. Yeah, yeah, too, it's too easy. easy so. Yeah, you're right. Too easy. All the ads, the insurance yeah. ads. Yeah, he's it's too tough. easy. It's tough. But LeVar, it's going to happen. Um, We're here for you. We we are your advocates, LeVar. Yeah. One day at a time. It's in a book, The Reading Rainbow. <laughs> anyway, let's get into this day in music history. Do, 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 do. 
All right. So this day in 2009, Billy Bob Thornton was booed out of Canada, <laughs> the entire country. Now, I hadn't realized that this bad news bear, bad Santa, Billy Bob Thornton was actually a reality. But apparently he is a little bit of a prickly asshole because of this story. Now, he, he was up in Canada with his band, the Box Masters. Terrible name, by the way. And he went on to a national radio station, the CBC. Uh, it's hosted by a guy named Yang Gameshi. And when he introduced Billy Bob Thornton, he not he said he was the singer and drummer and this, but also introduced him as Oscar-winning screenwriter, actor, director. And immediately Thornton clammed up, complaining that his acting was supposed to not be mentioned. I guess the publicist, whoever forwarded the interview, said you're not to mention Billy Bob Thornton's acting in an interview with Billy Bob Thornton, which is, I've been, listen, I've been offered before from people being like, hey, is there anything that we should advance this interview that you do or do not want to talk about, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, unless you got something really specific, you just got to go into it. And if you're Billy Bob Thornton trying to sell your band, you know, talk about your fucking movies. Like, Jesus, come on, man. So he addressed them. He says, you know, you guys formed in the last couple of years, right? Billy's answer, I don't know what you're talking about. He goes around the room. A few of the other box masters uh, answer some questions very cordially. And then he says, what have you learned from Willie Nelson? I've never met him, replied Billy Bob Thornton, even though he was on tour with him. <laughs> then he invokes the name Tom Petty and says to the host, you know, uh, would you ask Tom Petty to explain why music is not a hobby? And I'm like, Jesus, Billy, you know, <laughs> step the fuck back. You're, you're stepping on royalty here. And the host, to his credit, says you're a pretty new band. And one of the reasons you get attention is because of the career you've had. Very fair, right? Yeah. And true. Billy takes even bigger offense to this because he wants to be taken so seriously as a musician. He gets quiet again. And this is his quote that he says on Canadian National Radio. You know what? Canadian audiences, excuse me, Canadian audiences are pretty reserved. We tend to play places where people throw things at each other. And here they just sit there. And it doesn't matter what you say to them. It's mashed potatoes with no gravy, baby. So he goes on Canadian National Radio, calls the Canadian uh, listening audience boring and weak. Yeah. And I guess apparently when you play America, people just toss things at each other. <laughs> Thanks, Billy. And then, of course, he goes to the Toronto show, gets a frosty reception, boos and catcalls. He addresses the crowd, calling the interview an asshole, explains he wasn't supposed to mention his acting. Crowd didn't let up. Subsequently, Thornton cancels the rest of their Canadian tour. Wow. So this day in music history is a really pointed, abject failure of Billy Bob Thornton about being a cool dude, a leader, a musician with a little bit of humility. Really came off looking like shit on this one. And now, I don't know, maybe Bad Santa and Bad News Bears isn't quite as funny. You know, I thought he was acting. Well, I mean, the remake of Bad News Bears, that was a terrible movie. Like, oh, I liked it. Oh, really? I liked it until this morning <laughs> when I read this. No, I mean, <laughs> Bad Santa's okay, but there's a 100% chance all of the knowledge that uh, he has about music comes from watching 
Roadhouse and Blues Brothers. Because like, yeah. like, like <laughs> yeah, he was yeah. expecting to show up to these bars. I have like the wire, right? And he's like, get him up, get him up, and just doing his thing. <laughs> Crazy. It's not a show unless <laughs> someone throws a Budweiser at you. Uh, well, Benny, on this day in 2012, it is reported, and the legend goes that uh, the London Olympics organizing committee had reached out to the manager of the who to ask if legendary drummer keith moon would be able to perform at the opening of the london olympic games the manager emailed them back saying that keith now resides at golders green crematorium having lived up to the who's anthemic line i hope i die before i get old he said if they have a round table some glasses and candles we might be able to contact him <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, that's not good as a show booker. Yikes. It's not like that's like a deep cut one either, yeah. you know? Like, that's one of the, like, that's a member of the 27 Club. This is a big deal, right. you know? He's Wow. That's rough. That's yeah. rough. Yeah. All right, Benny. Well, we have more music nonsense to get into at the top of this pod, <laughs> and let's dive into something that the internet cooked up today. Shout out to comedian Ron Funches, who got this all going. Um, he tweeted on Thursday morning that when society admits outcasts is better than the Beatles, we can truly start the healing. Uh, in the follow-up tweet, he admits that uh, this was a ploy to promote his show Chopped for 20, which, by the way, if Chopped wasn't good enough, add a little of the magic in there, mm -hmm. you got yourself a hit. But, Benny, I, I got to ask you, in all seriousness, where do you stand on this? Well, first off, respect to Ron. Yeah. Just Genius. for trolling and getting the conversation going. <laughs> I think it's fun. Uh, disrespect to Ron for stealing the idea of that show from the old Vice show, uh, Baked. Yeah. yeah. Which was the dude walking around going to all weed bakeries and being stoned and eating mm. weed food, which was very good, actually. Yeah, that um, but this is actually a really interesting tweet that deserves a little... A, a little thought, and and I'll tell you why. So let let's let's get it out in the open first. He wrote, "When society admits they are better." Now, clearly, obviously, anyone who listens to music, anyone who consumes art, know that this is like a bullshit statement, yeah. right? Like you can't in any way, kind of quantifiably, compare Outkast and the Beatles in any way. It's all opinion timing generations music taste like there's so much to it so i'd like to have this whole conversation in the context of not are they better who was more important or you know are they equally as important in the beatles and if you put it that way i'd like to make an argument saying maybe mm -hmm. and the reason i would say maybe is the fact that outcast in the last 20 to 25 years has uh has aged considerably well um their music is constantly uh stolen from reworked reused to to purpose whatever hip-hop is now same way as the beatles and the reason i would say it's a relevant argument is the fact that hip-hop has been the more dominant of the social music cultures for the last 20, 25 years, probably. So when you're talking about an influence on pop music, mainstream music, like we're no longer subversive here. This is an alternative. Like hip hop is pop music, just as if rock was pop music in the eighties and the nineties, you know, 
Um, and that being said, if someone like Post Malone, you know, uh, you know, 25 years down the pipe is taking influences he doesn't even know he's taking from because the outcast influences on it's like third generation, mm. same as the Beatles. They've infected pop music the same exact way. So the pioneers of hip hop soon, now that we're 40 years of uh, hip hop track record, should start being viewed at in the way of Elvis and Little Richard. Um, the same way the the Beatles and the Beach Boys were given credit for moving it to the to the next needle during their time. I think uh, there's a relevant conversation to have that Outkast has done something similar. So I, I do um, not agree with the fact that Outkast was better than the Beatles. But if you want to make the argument that they were as important as the Beatles, I may still not agree because of the the massive body of work the Beatles have given us and the fact that they're still relevant even this many years past. But it's getting close to where I'm willing to have the conversation. And it's a relevant argument to make, right? Yeah, so this was a joke tweet, as I said, right? But the- Not to me, Denny. <laughs> but the thing that is super irritating about the internet is we is we live in this world of absolutes, right? Right. While at the same time agreeing that there's no absolute truth, it's freaking (laughs) incredible to me. But the way the way that we have to compare everything, and I was just listening to a podcast where they were interviewing the head of Netflix, and he was like, because you can consume everything all at one time, when you put something out, you're putting it out next to everything that's ever been made ever. So that's how the comparisons come. Like you can't compare like I Love Lucy to The Wire. Like they're not (laughs) the same TV show. Like you just can't do that. Like like the same thing with music. Like there's there's something beautiful about the evolution of things. So to try to make these absolute statements Mm -hmm. is ridiculous. That being said, for clicks, putting this out here is tremendous. Were you yeah, going to watch or did, have you even heard of Chopped 420 before this? I don't think I so. Did not. And I this did has not. been trending all day. So genius move there. But to answer the actual question, the actual beater, Beatles versus Outcast, I got to be honest with you. For someone that's my age, the introduction to music for most people was uh you know shake it like a polaroid picture like that yeah, whole thing yeah, yeah. going down now, sure not for me uh because you know you could say i was raised with taste but i also think <laughs> that this gets no i love outcast i don't know why i had to throw that out there like they did so well like in that in in that brief brief stretch of time that andre 3000 is like i don't need to perform anymore i've reached yeah. what i wanted to do with the medium while paul mccartney's still out there so yeah, yeah, no, I mean, like, and again, the thing that always counts the most in arguments like this to me is what happened to your music over time. Yeah. You know, you'll probably meet a lot of people who were like, yeah, Britney Spears was like one of the first pop songs I ever heard. But you're not hearing this conversation about Britney Spears, yeah. you know? So the fact that you've watched this thing pan out over time and watch people take influences from it in different ways is the reason you can even have this conversation. I would, But as you said, the foolishness of this conversation is the fact that I bet if you asked Andre 3000 and Big Boy, they'd have some love for the Beatles. Yeah, Maybe they even took some shit from him. Fuck, 
Andre 3000 was was dressing pretty 60s for a while, mm, yeah. you know, so maybe maybe he was taking some of their drip. Like, I don't know. But uh, the one thing I can safely say at the end of this conversation. Yeah, I like Outcast and the Beatles. Oh, <laughs> that, that's a beautiful spot to end. on. That's a beautiful spot. to end. well, speaking of rhythm and harmony, Benny, we're going to get a little bit Zen for this next one. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit off the beaten path of what we do. But I guess for this show, there really is no beaten path. So here we go. That's right. Uh, a recent study shows a link between musical genres and our capacity for empathy the study shows that people use empathy while perceiving different types of musical content are reacting to it both emotionally and physiologically the researchers found that those with a bias toward emphasizing mellow music that might fall within the genres of r&b and soft rock uh, while those that prefer intense dimension genres such as heavy metal and hard rock tend to have a bias toward uh, synthesizing or logic-based thinking rather than showing empathy. These people are known as type B. E. Uh, the same <laughs> study goes on to talk about type S people uh, who like gentle, warm, and sensual music as well as depressing sad songs. These type S people have personalities that gravitate toward high arousal type of music, such as songs that have a strong, tense, and thrilling, a lot of the pop music and rock music that you hear today, as well as cerebral and depth and complexity. So, Benny, that was a lot. I know we just gave you your master's, PhD, and whatever (laughs) nonsense this is, but let's get down to brass tacks. Are you a type E or a type S person? Listen, Denny, you lost me. I went to community college, you know? (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I lost myself Um, doing that. (laughs) So I like the quote from the person who loved the SETI. You know, he said, the idea that music is solely entertainment or even just a pure aesthetic experience is very misguided. It's a form of language. It's part of human evolution, and it's deeply embedded into our brains. I do believe that. If you believe in evolution, if you believe in the fact that you're carrying uh, the genes of the people before you. Um, if you think that, you know, while you're in the womb and under the age of two or three, that you're actually really internalizing these things and it's making you what you are. I think what kind of music and the way you're listening to it, sure, is probably deeply embedded inside of ourselves. Uh, so I agree with that. They actually personally lost me on an anecdotal front because. I am a highly empathetic person to the point of being clinically hypersensitive. Mm. And it says that those with a bias towards empathizing prefer mellow music that falls into genres of R&B and soft rock. As you know, I do love some soul music. I was listening to Curtis Mayfield just this morning. I do not like soft rock, Mm -mm. and I never have. (laughs) Uh, And it said that people who prefer the intense dimension, like heavy metal and hard rock, which is really my favorite kind of music show a bias towards systemizing or logic-based thinking, as you said, rather than empathy, which is not me. So they lost me personally because uh, it doesn't make sense in my own anecdotal experience, but I did find the whole thing really interesting and uh, truthful. I think there's a lot of different things that you can find in your past, uh, even your subconscious past, your past before you were even born that somehow shows its ugly head in your own life and you'll never know why so when you you know when you're five years old and you hear that song and it just clicks with you for some reason that for some reason could be a deep physiological gene related thing we have no idea um so i like it i think it's cool uh now i didn't know this right 
He said that the study with his colleagues was aimed at evaluating the three dimensions of music, which I didn't know this was a thing until now. And I'm going to use the three dimensions of music moving forward. We have arousal, Mm -hmm. the energy level of music, valence, the spectrum from sad to happy emotions in music, and depth, the amount of sophistication and emotional depth in music. Now they use that to link to the big five personality traits. So, I I mean, it's really fascinating. I didn't know any of these things existed. And uh, now I may use the the three dimensions of music to dictate my own songwriting. Who knows? But I like the idea too. They said self-assured people were likely to enjoy uh, uh, high arousal music and people that were open-minded can be defined as genre fluid. So I think uh, I'm actually potentially like a non-binary music listener. (laughs) I love that. Is that okay? No, I love that. I love, (laughs) you know, I feel like we can all just start a non-binary music loving commune and we can all just maybe take 10% off the top. No, I think you need all of these to be a complete person. I don't get why when we do these you know, I feel like there's a lot of overlap between academia and the internet sometimes where it's very much this or that. This can be very fluid, like you said. I mean, now the reason why I kind of brought this up is do you and your wife have the same taste in music? Not even close. Yeah, because I, I, I find with me and my situation, when, when we're listening in, into the car, there's a lot more boys to men playing than I would typically have. Like, I just got to be honest with you. So it's like very interesting. Uh, the, the, the link that sent me to this article was talking about how important it is to have similar taste in music to your, to your partner. And I'm like, that's kind of ridiculous because yeah. I feel like you need a bit of column A and a bit of column B to really sure. make the whole thing kind of achieve that fun way. Yeah, and I don't think really, and this is from many years of experience, not only music, but dating and relationships. Yeah. Uh, it's not about liking the same music at all. It's about finding someone who has a love for music. Yeah. And if you have a love for music, that means even when you're listening to Boys to Men, you could find the thing that somebody loves in Boys to Men. You can appreciate the uh, excellent singing in Boys to Men, the excellent production, and you can actually get through it. Or you um, enjoy attending shows together, you know, like more of the social element. Do you like listening to music? Do you like going to live music? I think those things are important because now you're talking about like, you know, physiological activities that a couple can do. But as far as like taste, are you supposed to like go on match.com and be (laughs) like, uh, Hey, I'm an Eagles guy. You know, (laughs) if you don't like the Eagles, hun, hun, there's the door, you know? That app exists, and that's scary. But <laughs> it definitely <anyway>. exists. <laughs> no, it's just sad that my last concert, like if the world ended today, and I've been saying this for the last year, my last concert would be Celine Dion. <laughs> so, I mean, you went big. I did. You went big. <laughs> All right, Benny, let's do a quick hitter here. Uh, the NBA is getting to the exciting portion of the season we just mm. got past the trade deadline buyout market all of that stuff so three quick questions here gonna hit it the los angeles lakers four and six in their last 10 games three and a half games clear of the seven seed uh to avoid the play in tournament though it looks like 
Anthony Davis is going to miss a little bit of more time. The Lakers are cautiously optimistic he'll be back by the end of their current road trip, and they're hoping that LeBron's going to be back by the end of April. So do you see the Los Angeles Lakers being in the playing tournament, or will they figure this out before we get there? I think it will be determined in the next three weeks. Mm. So the Lakers are still three and a half games away from the playing game, which is a fairly comfortable lead for for such a good team. Um, But in the next nine games, with their deep injury concerns, as you mentioned, they face Miami, Brooklyn, New York, Charlotte, and Boston, Mm -hmm. all right around 500 or above and all on the road. Then two with Utah and two with Dallas in the next nine. So they have no walk games uh, and a bunch of teams who are also vying for their own playoff spots, getting healthy themselves. So I think in the next three weeks, I mean, you could easily see a team that goes three and six and is actually really competing for this playoff game. So I do think it's possible. uh, And I think in the West, if they don't get their shit right, you know, you could wind up seeing a, a Memphis. You could wind up seeing... Uh, Golden State (laughs) with a frisky Steph Curry with a lot to prove. Uh, You could see New Orleans, you know, with Ingram and Ball, like healthy, that team could do it. So uh, I think it's possible. And I think the Lakers will do everything in their power to stay out of that scenario because it's not a uh, good position to be in. No, and I mean, the team's right below them. As I said, they're surging. Uh, I think both the Mavs and the Blazers, 7-3 and three in their last 10. So it really comes back to, and I feel like this season, as we've touched on before, there this season relies much more on the health of Anthony Davis. And now, yeah. you know, this potential, because if this is a a lingering ACL strain, I mean, that, that thing can go at any moment. So, like, I see why they're holding them out, but, like, oh, yeah. At what point does the uh, reward outweigh the risk? I think it's starting to get there. Yeah. Like, you know, about a few weeks ago, if you asked me this question, I would have said, doesn't matter. Just get the Lakers in the playoffs, get those guys right, and they'll be fine. Now I'm a little more jumpy to that. Yeah. The one other point I'd like to make is how great is this play-in tournament? Oh, it's so good. I mean, we're a, co- we're a few years into this now, and – I mean, I look at the standings and literally there's only four teams that are actually completely out of the picture right now. Yeah. You know, that that you would imagine want to tank, you know, your Detroit, Minnesota, you know, these teams, they, they're, they're not vying for it. But I mean, you know, even the uh, 17 win Washington Wizards, mm-hmm. who if you put out a healthy Westbrook and Beal, like they might wind up getting into this thing. Yeah. Sacramento mind up, but you know, so all these teams that in a normal circumstance, you would be watching start to tank already are actually really competing. And these frisky groups of young players are really trying to get to this playing game and fuck with the big dogs. So I think this was a, uh, a great move by the NBA and, and um, a good turn to, to keep people engaged after the all-star break, which has been an issue for quite a while now. Yeah, I think that they've definitely corrected that. I know some of the old guard does not like how all of the guys play together. I think that this was a massive step forward for trying to correct that quote-unquote problem and keeping teams competitive. Well, speaking of a team that is right up near the top of things, 
Benny, how happy were you that Kevin Durant returned last night? Mama was on the front row. It was everything anybody could have hoped yeah. for. Got those sweet yellow sneakers on. It was beautiful. Fresh off of a victory over Michael Rappaport and onto the hardwood. But, <laughs> Benny, with, with the regular season kind of shifting into the postseason now, you know, kind of the same thing that we talked about with the Lakers. The Nets kind of banged up you know they haven't really had the same the the crew that they want to compete for a championship with together so this poses the question what will the nets crunch time five look like once we get to the postseason well i mean obviously of course you know dumb thing to say but this is contingent on health Mm -hmm. um i think the one thing that really makes the Nets scenario so much different than the lakers or some of these other teams is they're winning plenty of fucking games with one or two of these guys you know, uh, it's becoming pretty clear if you have Kyrie and Durant on the floor, Harden and Kyrie on the floor, even one of them, you're going to win half the games. Yeah. So I'm feeling a little less uh, concerned about the Nets in that way than I am uh, the Lakers. Katie last night looked good. Mm-hmm. Um, he looked sharp. He looked just like you want Katie to look. You know, I have that thing as a fan when you're watching him, you're like, no, don't jump stop yet. <laughs> you know, and he's making these cuts and I'm like, no, don't do that yet. Just shoot for the first couple of games. He's got that. Like, like every time Aaron judge lays out for a ball in right field, I'm just like, no. Um, so I kind of have that thing with Duran right now. I'm just like nervous. I've been waiting for so long for him to come back. He came back. He looks so good. He went down again and I'm like, oh, take care of him. Take care of him. But, uh, that being said, contingent on health, uh, I think it's become pretty simple because of the way LaMarcus Aldridge played oh, yeah. since he's already been there. Um, the thing I really like about him, and and it kind of proved to me last night, is like I forgot how capable of a five he is. Um, and because he has that, you know, really sharp, uh, you know, back to the basket game from 16 to 18 feet, his mid-range game can even shoot threes. I kind of forget he's a big boy that can get down there. And I watched him bang bodies with Steven Adams for 30 minutes last night going, oh, yeah, you can put LaMarcus Aldridge against Joel Embiid, against one of these big boys, and he's going to hold his own. So I think it's become pretty clear that with health, this lineup will be LaMarcus Aldridge at the five, KD at the four, Joe Harris at the three, and uh, Harden Kyrie in the backcourt. Yeah, I mean, you saw last night them, you know, a, a couple instances where the chemistry wasn't down, but that's what these games here now are, you know, you know to get the passes and, like, not missing the open man, stuff like yeah. that. But I'm right there with you. I really like what Aldridge brings because now you have an, an instance, I'd probably say in, in the playoffs, you know, you're looking at, all right, how can I beat the Sixers and, and, and Bucks if, if we get there? I mean, right. you flat out just – build a wall with uh, KD and Aldridge and Giannis is not getting to the hoop. So I think that that's a really nice thing that they did. And then uh, when you're going up against a a team like the Sixers, you have better perimeter shooting and a better interior presence as well. So I think that they've really set themselves up nicely. Um, So just like you, I got to go with Kevin Durant, Harden, Kyrie, Harris, and Aldridge. It's going to be really something. I think the big key here of how far they can go is we know what we're going to get from from the three stars, and we and we've already seen what Aldridge can do with that uh, twelve to foot twelve to fifteen foot fadeaway that we text about at least a few times a week. That just hang it in the Louvre, please. Yeah. But the connection Beautiful. with Joe Harris is going to be very interesting. Um, and 
it's already there, but it has a little bit of, of, of a way to go to being like finding this guy in the corner, open shot, kind of fit, having that Clay Thompson kind of role of the guy that you want as, as that spot-up shooter. But, man, you can't – if especially for a first-time head coach in, in Steve Nash, the way that this has come together has been an absolute dream. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to give him credit, too. Like, he's he's gotten so much out of certain guys that, you know, like – did you think the Nets were going to rely so heavily at times in this season on, on, you know, TLC on Bruce Brown on Landry Shamit? You know, these were like semi throwaway guys when we were talking about the roster before the season. And he's really gotten the best out of them and put them in good spots to, to succeed. I actually think the bench is looking in great shape uh, with health. I mean, if you're taking Bruce Brown, Blake Griffin, Jeff Green, DeAndre Jordan, shooters like Shamit, Tyler Johnson off the bench with the rest of these guys. I think they got plenty of depth and all these bodies to throw at bigs, you know, uh, where, where LaMarcus and KD could struggle with a bigger guy, you know, you throw in DeAndre Jordan for 12 minutes, yeah. let him pick up five fouls and really rough somebody up, you know, yeah. like you put in Nick Claxton for a few minutes, let him run up and down the court and tire somebody out. So you have all these different options now to kind of, kind of work around people. And I think, when everyone's like, oh, why are they signing these guys? Why are they signing these big, you know, free agents? This is why. Because yeah. when you're going into the postseason, you need that kind of depth. So I don't know. I'm pretty uh, pretty optimistic about the Netties right now. And if you're looking to beat the Lakers, as people have kind of in, in their mind, but of all the two best teams on paper, the Lakers and the Nets, the thing that these games right now are what's going to win them a championship, if the Lakers don't have this continuity that we've been talking about and they're bringing in guys you, you know you kind of hear that Marcus Saul is not exactly thrilled with his role now that they're bringing Drummond um, you, you don't have a heavy unifier there like Rondo uh, yeah. these guys having chemistry you know they're laughing on on the bench they're they're learning how, how to find each other in the right <laughs> spot it's, it's all coming together and I would right now if, if we started the NBA finals and we just simmed ahead like this is 2k and it was Nets Lakers you'd got to take the Nets right now yeah, I, I think, I mean, as much as I don't want to be a homer, it's it's hard to say anything else right That's now. That's right. That's what I'm here for you. It's, it's all good. <laughs> all right, last NBA question today. Uh, Benny, Phoenix Suns, throwing uh -oh. all of the heat analogies that you want. They're on a toward pace. They're lapping around the earth at an incredible clip. Uh, but these Suns are a game and a half out of the number one seed in the West uh, can they finish first in the West past the Jazz? It's going to be a tall order. And how far do you think that this can transition to the postseason? I do think they can finish number one. Mm -hmm. and But uh, a large par portion of the reason I think that is, yes, I'm optimistic about the Suns and what they're doing, but I'm also pessimistic about the Jazz and what they're doing. Mm. I got to be honest with you, Denny. Yeah, I never believed Utah was the team to beat. It's a nice run. It's a nice team. And I got to come clean about something else. Yeah. I'm not the biggest Spider Mitchell guy in the world. I thought you were going to say Quinn Snyder, and I was about to be personally. <laughs> <laughs> I love him as a player. I think he's really good. I think he's an all-star caliber player. But I sometimes and still doubt his ability to be like a number one for a number one team. Yeah. I think he's too low efficiency. He goes through these offensive stretches, I think, that leave his team a little dead in the water. And with the way this team is put together, him and Jordan Clarkson are literally the only guys who can create their own shot, you know? And we've seen this time and time again once 
teams like that get to the playoffs, these system teams, once they get to the playoffs, it is so hard to keep your system in place when everybody's focusing on your offense so much. And often it's going to come down to who's your best one-on-one player and can he get the ball in the bucket? And I don't like their chances when it comes to that. And I like the Suns' chances a lot better. So uh, I, I, I do believe in the Suns. I love this run they're on. I think Devin Booker is uh, grossly underrated, especially with the way how efficient of a player he is and the fact that he um, – I mean, I think he's, he's getting pretty close to like a 50-40-90 season. And uh, Aiton making that next step, you have like the perfect 3 and D guy in Bridges. You get the experience in Crowder. Bench is still a little thin, but semi-fortified. So I like the Suns uh, uh, to to jump the Jazz. I do. I feel like we're going to get to the point where teams start to watch the standings a a little bit more, and you may have some more scheduled losses, depending on how far Mm. the Lakers fall. Because if, say, the Lakers fall into the play-in tournament and they're the seven, oh, man, then you're going to see both Phoenix and and Utah (laughs) fighting for that one seat because nobody wants to see the Lakers in the first round. That's yeah. so incredibly unfair. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, or or like I said earlier, I mean, those Golden State Warriors put it together and wind up in an eight seed and wind up in there like yeah. no number one seed wants to see that either. Surely for the fact that even if you win, you just don't want to chase Steph Curry around the yeah. first series, you know? <laughs> that does that's not good for anyone's longevity in the playoffs. I cannot figure out this Warriors team. They go they they get night to night embarrassed yeah. by Toronto and then come back and you know, against the Bucks and pull it out. Uh, you know, it's just a team where you know, there's been questions whether Kerr knows how to use Wiseman or not. I'm not I'm not sure that I exactly subscribe to that. I feel like they're they're trying to figure it out, but what just a wacky team. I think, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I've watched that team a lot and Wiseman, you know, as, as big as his ceiling is, it's huge. And that kid's fucking lost out there. That's not Steve Kerr's fault. (laughs) Um, He just doesn't know what he's doing yet. He's barely played fucking basketball. What do you want? You know? (laughs) All right. Last topic today, Benny, you know, just about the time that we went off the air yesterday or yesterday, last week, uh, Major League Baseball decided that it was going to pull the 2021 All-Star Game from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, there was some people offering their services to host the Midsummer Classic. But on Tuesday, it was officially announced that the Colorado Rockies will host the 91st edition of the Midsummer Classic on July 13th. As I mentioned, the game was pulled from Atlanta following the controversial voting laws in Georgia. Major League Baseball, Robin Manfred was like, we need to make a stand. This isn't right. So what do you make of major league baseball getting political and speaking out? I mean, well, we've, we got to get to the root of this first. Okay. Which is, and we had this conversation a lot about what the NBA was doing last season about what all these leagues are doing. Yeah. This is less political and more financial again. You know, this is a league who is attempting to stand out a little bit, you know, somewhere in this, comfortable area between the NFL and the NBA. And, uh, you know, God knows what they heard in regards to their financial sponsors when they realized their ads could be all over a highly contested and controversial state by the time this all-star game happens. So I think it was more of a, like, we hate this law and we need to make a stand against this law and more of like a, 
yeah. No thanks. Yeah. That's what I think baseball did. I think baseball went too messy. No thanks. You know, um, so I do think it, the impetus came from there. I was surprised that Manfred came out with such a strong statement and a political statement. Um, on a personal level, I do think the law is bullshit. Um, I think that if this law existed uh, nine months ago, really, really shady people would have used that law to overturn that state and its election. Um, so I think it is dangerous and I think it deserves uh, standing up against. But again, we fall into this one thing we always fall into, right? Which is how people love liberty and they love personal responsibility until the companies that they support decide to make a decision. Now, baseball is a company. It's a private fucking company. It's owned by people. It's owned by ownership. It's owned by these ad sponsors. And they have a different dog in the fight than a person. So if you don't like what a private company is doing, then you get to you know, pour out all your Coca-Cola cans and never watch baseball again. I don't know what you're going to do from now on, but that's your choice. And they made a choice. And it's as simple as that to me. Now, I love the idea. Uh, the one thing that I love that got turned on in its ear with this one is the idea that, uh, you know, sports shouldn't be political. They should never be political. Like, let's not get into it like this. And literally, when the Braves moved from Milwaukee to Atlanta, it was contingent on the stadium becoming integrated. So you literally had the birth of the Atlanta Braves only made possible by the forcing of a political decision. So, I mean, if you really have a problem with something like this now, uh, you probably had a problem with the stadium being integrated all the way back then. And it kind of comes from the same place. And then when the Braves moved from Turner Field to the what's his son trust, that yeah. don't think that had anything to do with race. When they go from a predominantly black and Hispanic neighborhood out, out into the white rich suburbs. Exactly. Hmm. Okay, Braves, we see you. And then the, and then the interesting thing here, now when the NBA makes a statement like this, all teams are involved. Uh, they come to mm. an, an agreement, at least publicly, even if the owners don't agree right. with it behind the scenes. You had teams like the Rangers, the Braves, I think the Cincinnati Reds, all putting out these. Right. They made a statement by making a statement, and they didn't even say anything in, in these statements. And it just becomes this whole thing where it's like, you're not going to change the mind of the old money. Uh, the fact that some of these corporate tax rates are the lowest that they've been in 50 years isn't an accident. These people have the ability to implement laws that protect their own bottom line. So it's just very interesting the the difference in I'm glad that, you know, the commissioner's office tried to make the statement, but they may have wanted to check with their partners first. Yeah, yeah, that's where it did seem like a uh really like quick decision mm. for whatever reason. Like it did seem like almost it happened uh, overnight, which, you know, I'm wondering what kind of call Rob got that night, you know, what kind of money he was about to lose and the call he had to make to the owners of Texas and Atlanta and Cincinnati being like, Hey, if I didn't do this, we were going to lose this and this and this and all those money grubbing assholes mm. in all those cities were probably like, Oh, okay, Rob, I get it. Mm. Because they're in the same business, which yeah. is making optimal money. Uh, 
And just as a rule of thumb, I would never use Cincinnati as an example. That is a surprisingly and shockingly racist town. And uh, <laughs> when I went to a Reds game there last, I brought young Ian Perkins from England so he could experience an American baseball game out in the hot sun and, you know, eat some peanuts and really gather it in. And it was a uh, Reds Cardinals game. And one of the first things we heard from right behind us was, hey, yaddy, yay, go back to Puerto Rico. So Cincinnati Reds, they're out. And in 1990, some fucker poured a beer on my Eric Davis shirt. So let's well, not get into that. I'm glad we got to it. Plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tune-up podcast at gmail.com. Two P's in there. You can follow us on all the social platforms. See tune-up HQ, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Tune-up on Twitch. Find us. We're there. We're ha- having a party. Bring some orange slices. Uh, if you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz1. Number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I completely forgot what I was going to say there. Um, I'm <laughs> at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Yeah, enjoy the spring bloom. Uh, and remember that you might not see the next one. So enjoy it. Wow, man. Thank <laughs> That's like John the Fowl. Oh, my goodness. You've been listening to the tune-up. <laughs> <laughs> what?